Hey, welcome. My name is Brandon. I'm the uh, pastor of preaching here at uh, Sojourn Heights. If you're, uh, if you're new, uh, first, second, third time with us, or uh, a friend invited you tonight, we, uh, we're part of this Sojourn Houston family, this family of neighborhood churches that uh, really have a heart and desire to see us and see the church serve the, uh, the particular area that we're in, the particular part of the city that we're um, in. And I want to kind of set up tonight before we jump in. Uh, that there are things that we do, there are forums that we do and uh, events that we do in the church where they are, uh, if you will, kind of outward facing, right? Like this is, this is how we are to function as a church in society. And then there, then there are forums more like this one where it's, uh, hey, in the day-to-day, right? At how do I make decisions when it comes to singleness, dating, marriage, parenthood? Uh, how do I live in light of the gospel of Christ, in light of the grace of Christ, um, and make decisions in the day-to-day uh, in light of that gospel, in light of that, um, that grace. And so our hope tonight was really to uh, model this after the Proverbs, uh, where it's just practical wisdom in the, um, in the day-to-day. And so uh, I want to uh, kind of tell you that, uh, the flow a little bit. Uh, what we're going to do is we're going to uh, invite our panel up here in, in just a minute, and the panel is going to be uh, five people from outside of Sojourn, and then three of our pastors from inside of Sojourn, and uh, they've been, uh, and that's not true, a couple of pastors, a minister, and, and their wives from outside of Sojourn, uh, and then uh, we've been really gracious to, to offer their time uh, and to come and speak into our body, into our, uh, into our church family, and, um, and then a few of our pastors are going to be up there for some pretty obvious reasons, right? We, uh, we have some uh, uh, real pain that we're walking through, the, the questions that came in, the, the text-in questions that came in. Uh, I'm so grateful for your honesty and uh, some of the rawness, if you will, that came through in the questions, and we wanted to make sure that we had a few of our guys speaking into some of that so that we can walk together uh, in the months and years to come um, in it. And so we, uh, we want to bookend the night tonight by reading and praying over, praying Psalm 107 for us. We, we are fully aware that many of us walked in with pain tonight, with a lot of hurt, and, uh, and many of us have, have walked in, and, and we're going to walk out, honestly, uh, in a lot of pain. Uh, and so we're going we're gonna to hear some practical wisdom, and, uh, and you're going to leave, and we're going to go, hey, that's, that's great, but, but my marriage is still struggling. Um, hey, that's, that's great, and I'm, I'm still not being asked out on a date, right? And so we're going we're gonna to leave hurting, but, but we didn't want to book into the night. We didn't want to go through the night without uh, a real tangible. Let's put Christ up in front of us, knowing that he is um, our central driving, all-satisfying um, hope inside of our lives. Uh, and so what I want to do is I want to read Psalm 107 over you guys, uh, and then I'm going to, uh, a few of the verses out of it, one through nine, and then I'm going to pray it, um, and then we're going to invite our panel up, and we're going to jump in, and uh, we have a ton of questions, uh, not enough questions uh, to, to go through, uh, not enough time to go through all of the questions that were texted in. But let me read Psalm 107 to you, and I'm going to pray it over you, uh, and then we're going to ask God to be unbelievably gracious to us in our time as we talk uh, life in the day-to-day. Psalm 107, oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. Some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in, hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, 
and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Let's pray. Father, we, we pray tonight. Uh, we, we pray Psalm 107 over us, over us as a church family, that we would be a people um, who would proclaim your steadfast love, that we would bless you for that love that endures forever, that we would, uh, we would honor and praise and glorify your name for gathering us in from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south, and that for those of us in here who uh, are walking in excited uh, about tonight, uh, who are not walking in the kind of pain I was just mentioning, praise the Lord. And then, Lord, we do pray for those who are walking in and they feel like their soul is fainting within them. I pray that uh, in conversation about the day-to-day night, uh, day-to-day tonight, Lord, uh, that you would not allow them to miss your grace for them. And I pray, Lord, by your mercy and by your grace, that every man, woman, child in this room would leave here tonight knowing that you love us, you're with us, and you're for us. And we look no farther than the cross of Christ to see that. Knowing that he satisfies the longing soul, the hungry soul he fills with good things. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Man, hey, one last thing before the panel comes up. I know that adoption is part of our, our definition of what it means to be a redeemed family and that as a church we are, uh, with great zeal, passionate about adoption, but we're leaving adoption out of the conversation tonight, not because we don't want to talk about adoption, but because we want to have a night in the future where we talk specifically about how we can be a church that, uh, that both adopts and resources adoption. All right? Um, if you would, welcome our panel that came to serve us tonight. Well, Yeah, spouses should sit together. It's a, you know. uh, if you guys would, if we could start with Ann Lincoln and work our way down the road, if you guys would introduce yourself, who you are, where you're from, uh, and anything else that you'd want us to know about you. Well, not anything else that you'd want us to know, but some things that you'd want us to know. Great. Well, my name is Ann Lincoln Hollabaugh. Ann Lincoln is my first name, um, and I am on staff at the Village Church in the Dallas area, which is how I know Brandon, and so grateful to be with you guys tonight. Um, I am in ministry. I work primarily with elementary age children, and I think everybody else is going to answer the how long have you been married question, and I have been married zero years. Uh, so. And Lincoln and I have been friends for since 2008. Uh, that's, when we, that's when we first started working together. So grateful for her. It is not on. You want to share your husband and we'll figure out how to turn it on? That's also not on. Uh, Do you want to share in Lincoln's and then we'll figure out how to? (laughs) 
So this is Ann Lincoln, and she's sharing her microphone. <laughs> anyway, oh, thanks, Paul. I'm Christy, and I'm married to Michael. And um, I'll tell you, he's, his voice is a little raspy tonight, so he even said I could do a little bit of talking for him, which I've been doing for the past few days, and I'm... <laughs> His doctor told him not to talk. I said, oh, great, I can talk even more. And he just has to listen. But anyway, we've been married um, 38 years. And um, he's been... <laughs> and Brandon... So 38 years, would that be longer than I've been alive or not yeah, longer than you, I've been alive? You've already pointed that out. Okay, that's you're right. okay. <laughs> I turned 58 yesterday. I had to uh, deal with that. I had a sprinkles cupcake. I felt better after that. That's good. But anyway, we have two boys... Uh, Ryan and Blake, and they're both pastors. I kind of try to talk them out of that because there's not a lot of money in it, you know? Turns out. But anyway, and then we have seven grandchildren, uh, and Michael is pastoring a church in Houston, and we just kind of accidentally did a church plant, and we are loving it. We'd never, I don't know, we just never thought about doing it, and we love it, and so that's what we do. We've, we've just been doing that ever since we've been married. So do you have anything to add? If you want to hand that back to Ann Lake. I think you're live now. I just had uh, just yeah. a few concerns about back. Brandon's statements uh, in his sermon Sunday about, uh, about he not only made the comment about how we'd been married longer than he'd been alive, but then he went on to talk about how dreadful it must be to be so old. I mean, that, that is not I true. Away from. That is not what I said. I said I want to be old, just not soon. So, yeah. there's, well, there's audio there on that on, <laughs> online, so... So uh, it's a great honor to be here. We love what you all are doing. Um, you are blessing the city in ways that you probably don't even know. And so uh, what God's doing through Sojourn is a rich blessing to the other churches and the people that are following Jesus in the city. So thank you for being a great encouragement to us, and it's an honor to be here tonight. I'm Kathleen Land, and I'm married to Chuck. Am I on? Yeah, I think so. And we've been married for 22 years, and we have four children, three girls and a boy. And... Um, how old are they? They're junior and freshman in high school, and then a fifth grade boy, and my little one is in second grade. So, awesome. so we're always tired. <laughs> they're a lot. Yeah. They're fantastic. Um, so yeah, we've been married 22 years. We met in the sixth grade, and so uh, middle school sweethearts, and, and there, and uh, dated through high school and uh, college, and uh, pastor a church in Sugarland. Uh, Crossbridge, been the pastor here for 13 years, started that, and part of the Acts 29 network with you guys, and we're grateful to be here. Was that mic on? No. No, okay, so y'all might want to share that one together there. Family mic is how we're rolling. Uh, <laughs> go ahead, Dot. Hey, Dots, um, you've had an eventful today. Uh, <laughs> 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 hey, uh, that's not the whole story. Go ahead, Dots. How'd the morning go? <laughs> Do you really want me to tell that story? Yeah, in like the 30-second version. I found my laptop was stolen from my car this morning. We tracked it through the Find My Mac app. We found out that it was sold to another guy for crack cocaine, and we got to share the gospel with that gentleman and his friend. Yeah. So... So he found out that my Mac is, his, his Mac was over at McDonald's, and so he went to get a quarter pounder and <laughs> confronted the guys, and then cops showed up, they shared the, it was awesome. That's a good word. Um, 
<laughs> we did. I, the, the Mac is back in my possession. Hi, my name is Dodds. Um, I'm one of the pastors at Sojourn Heights. My wife, Kimberly, and I have been married uh, for 10 years. Uh, we have two girls, Abigail and Penelope, three and one years old, and found out about 15 minutes ago, one on the way. So. I, uh, my name is Marshall. I did not have anything stolen today, um, so no, no cool stories, but I am married to my beautiful wife, Nicole. We've been married for uh, four and a half years, and we just had our first uh, child, our little daughter, Olivia, and she's hanging out back there, and she's awesome, so you should meet her. Cool. Uh, my name is Drew. I'm, I'm one of the pastors here at Sojourn Heights. Uh, my wife, Amber, and I have have two kids, um, one daughter, she's about 18 months, and then we have a foster son, uh, he's about four months old. Um, we have been married for approximately 34 months, <laughs> and uh, I'm on the short stool. So. <laughs> uh, that's funny, that's funny. Uh, if we haven't met uh, Brandon, you know that we, we, I, my wife Amanda is, is in the room somewhere. We have three kids. Obviously, most of you know that if you hear screaming or something breaking, it's, it's my son uh, over there more than likely. Um, hey, let's, let's, let's jump in. I want to jump in with uh, first a, a question and answer. I'm going to uh, ask and answer. The first question I want to ask is, are, are, are they here to speak to life stage, right? So is Ann Lincoln here to speak to Singleness issues, are you guys here to, I was going to say grandparenting issues, but I felt like I should filter it, and then I didn't filter it, and I, I did it like that, and so. Uh, that's that's and, better than elderly, the elderly yeah. or something. Uh, the, the short answer is absolutely not. Uh, the, the, the answer is no. We, we believe that if you're not a Christian in the room, let me, let, me, let me throw this out, that we believe there's universal human longings that we all, um, that we all have, and that Jesus meets those universal longings. Um, and that when we're in Christ, uh, we no longer get to say to one another, you don't get me, right? We, we, we speak across um, life stages, right? We speak into one another's life stages, all right? And so the answer is no. All right, question one, Dodds Pangra, this one's going to be for you. This is a stage, you know it's coming. Uh, what's a neighborhood parish? Um, I'm glad you asked that. Uh, Thanks, man. Um, <laughs> neighborhood parish is a smaller expression of church as family. And so it's within a neighborhood parish that we, together, were striving uh, to follow Christ uh, in his mission to make disciples in the context of every day. That's good. So you're going to hear uh, questions related to parish tonight, and, and you need to know, uh, we just want to make sure everybody understands what a neighborhood parish is, that it's a smaller expression of the church as family. It's men and women who gather together every week in their homes for a meal where they study the scriptures and pray together. They have coffee on Tuesday, dinner on Friday. Uh, and that's what the church, uh, that's what a, a neighborhood parish is. All right, 1 Corinthians 7, 32 to 35 uh, says, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. And, and the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, 
how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say, uh, I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and, and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. The question is, what is Paul talking about? Michael? Chuck? Michael? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, I think, <laughs> I think what Paul really wants to communicate to the Corinthians with all of their other weird questions and the issues that were going on was this sense of confidence in God's calling in their lives at that moment. He begins those verses by talking about we don't need to live in anxiety. And they had all kinds of circumstances all through chapter 7. There were situations where believers, uh, uh, unbelieving families, one couple, one of the couple had come to faith. And so they had questions, do we stay married? And evidently there were questions uh, of sexual issues that he had addressed earlier in the the chapter. And so um, I think Paul wants to communicate what God's Word would have us know is that God in His providence has ordained the steps of our lives, uh, even when those steps are sometimes painful. And in fact, I would go further, even though this is not specifically in 1 Corinthians 7, but even when those steps are wrong and sinful steps that we've made, that God is still supernaturally, sovereignly able to use those circumstances where we are right now for our good and for His glory. And so, whether it is in the process in this passage, it's the process of trying to figure out about singleness or marriage and what is the the relative value of that. I think that's in play there. But I think the undergirding principle is a confidence in God's providence. Either of those options are valid uh, in God's guiding and in making good choices. And so, um, I think it comes back to a a sense of sovereignty, maybe. Anybody have anything to add? And Lincoln? Sure. Um, I agree with that. And I think Paul is speaking from firsthand experience about the reality that, um, you know, a choice is a limitation. And so there are limitations to married life and there are limitations to single life. And what he is pointing to in this passage is that there's a very real sense in which those who are unmarried have a, a different opportunity to have undivided devotion to the Lord, undivided affections, um, concentrated time and focus and energy devoted to the kingdom. That's how he lived. And he's saying, I wish that you were like I am. I know most of you will not be, but I wish that you were. Um, and, and so I think that's, uh, that's at least part of what he's yeah. trying to communicate um, there. Yeah, that's good. Anybody else? I could just say that the, the passages right before this, Paul is talking about um, essentially uh, the heart of it is that even though you may mourn now, you won't mourn forever. Even though you may have uh, favor and, and gladness in this life, you may not necessarily have it for the entirety of this life. So I think it sort of speaks into the, the fact that what we experience here is so brief, whether it's, it's good or bad. And, and that when our focus is on eternity, it, the, the proper weight is put in the, yep. the proper place. I, don't know. I think some of our, our people, some of you guys in the room, we, we need to know that singleness isn't wrath, right? Like it's not judgment. It's not judgment over your past. It's not 
I did X, Y, Z when I was 18, 19, 20, and so now I'm 30, and so God still hasn't forgiven me. Uh, that, that's, not what, um, that's not what the Lord would, would want you to know, believe, or, or think. Um, another next question. Beyond, uh, beyond a follower of Christ, what should I look for in a spouse, and how should I begin a relationship? Beyond a follower of Christ, what should I look for in a spouse? <laughs> Anybody want to take any takers? Married there we people. go. You guys answered this question. You clearly know. Yeah. <laughs> I think you look for a friend. I mean, I think yeah. um, friendship is so key. And uh, Tim Keller's book, Meaning of Marriage, he and his wife, Kathy, who um, wrote that with him, that is such a foundation that they point to, um, that you're building a friendship. So I desire friendship in a potential spouse. I think that's really important. You gotta like them. I mean, she don't have to, but it really is helpful. I would really <laughs> like to like the man that I'm marrying. Oh, that's good. Well, I can tell you what we told our sons, or what Perfect. I told them. Just simple, short and simple. Find someone, first of all, who loves the Lord, and then someone who treasures you, and be yeah. good to go. And it, it, it worked. That's great. Um, what about how to start a relationship? Like, we have a lot of, um, not, and not just sojourn, I mean, my years in the church, uh, there's, there seems to be some, uh, either we do nothing, like I don't ask anybody out, I don't get coffee, or getting coffee equals I want to get married. Uh, so how do we not live in either extreme and our, start a relationship? I have a story about that. Our son, oh, no. our son when he was in college, we began to wonder, you know, was he, you know, was he thinking about getting married and he never dated or anything? And, but we started noticing that basically what we found out is that he was into errand dating. And I'm just going to recommend this, is that he, would, he, he wouldn't go to the trouble of asking the girl out, but he'd, he'd say, hey, i got to go to the grocery store. You want to go with me? And depending on how she dressed and how she acted, that was the determination whether she made the cut. And we told him that was, that was not going to be effective, but... Uh, I'll just throw that out for you if any of you, the Aaron dating is a, an option. Uh, yeah. that's, that's a negative example. Yeah. <laughs> so we, we were talking this week, while, while anybody thinks about an answer, we were talking this week, one of the challenges to talking, as somebody who's married, to talking about this is how you should pursue a relationship, is there's always the, this is what you should do, and then there, this is what I did. And, and they're never the same, all right? So. Well, I, hello. Wait, it's on. I got to, like, eat the mic. There you go. Um, but I would say it's, it's, you know, how do you start a relationship? How do you meet a friend? How do you build a friendship? That's what you're doing, you know? And so I don't think it's the big mystery, um, you know, if you're going to go running, running at the park, go running at the park together. Be a friend and just build that friendship and let the Lord begin to take that where he will. I think that's how you start the relationship. And it's, we, we've made it so mystical and so romantic. And there's romance and all that. But really, if you're going to be friends for the rest of your life, then that, I think that's how you start a relationship. You start first with the friendship and let the Lord develop that. So amen to everything that's said. But let me, let me ask some kind of probing questions. And you might be the best one really to speak into this. So start a friendship, start running together, start running errands together, uh, you know, 
but there can become this time where as you build a friendship, one person thinks we're building a friendship, one person thinks uh, he's pursuing me. Uh, would you prefer that in building a friendship, there comes a point where uh, a man sits down and says, I want to turn a corner and pursue you through X, Y, Z? Yes. I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, do you, would, would you like for me to elaborate? If you have something to elaborate with, absolutely. Um, I do think for the men in the room who um, will pursue a relationship or are pursuing at some point now, um, the woman that you're pursuing should never have to guess where she stands with you. So if you are in a season of friendship, just say that. Set her expectations. That's going to protect her. You're being a brother. Um, you are modeling in an appropriate way what it means to lay down your life for the sake of someone else. Um, and there's a unique way that husbands do that for wives, and so I'm not saying it's the same thing. Uh, but if you're wanting to build a friendship, just say that. And then for the ladies in the room, if you come to a place where you're unsure or you're uncomfortable with where things stand, you need to just say that. Just communicate. And that really, when we're trying to read in and assume and all of these things, we just are almost always going to land in the wrong place, and we don't, in uncertainty, assume the best. We tend to assume the worst. So as much as we can help each other and serve each other by just being really clear, I think that's great. Yeah, that's good. I mean, Brandon, it seems to me like sometimes, you know, we go through these phases where, well, well people are looking for a formula. So how do, I, how do I go about doing this? So, and there are people who will sometimes provide a formula. Like for a while, I don't know, I kind of felt like one of the phases was group dating and that was like the godly thing to do, you know? And like, if you did anything else, then you weren't godly or, but I, it just get, you just get practical. It's, I mean, it kind of gets, it just all goes back to what is your personal relationship with the Lord? How do you hear the Holy Spirit? Which way does he push you? What does he show you? How, how does he give you insight about the person that you're, I mean, you, you just, and so now at this stage, you know, we're even meeting people who, you know, they've met through the internet and stuff. And at first that felt like, oh, is that, is that good? Or, but I've met people that that has been effective because they pursued that in a yeah. godly way. So I just don't think there's one set way. There's just, there's never a formula because God just doesn't, he, he's a pretty free God. And so. so speaking of internet dating. Uh, I had no experience with that. Well, well, me, me neither. Uh, me neither. No that internet wasn't internet. I'm, I'm really glad to hear that. <laughs> uh, uh, it, are, there, are there guidelines? Are there practicals that you guys would say when it comes to internet dating, internet relationships? I don't even know the real term for it. Whatever that term is, uh, don't do it. Do it with here's some practicals. If your, your oldest is how old? Uh, 16. 16. Uh, if you said... She lives in the attic. I lock her <laughs> yeah. I was I was about to ask, is, is a acceptable? son or a daughter? Because that changes everything. I have a uh, taser and a 12-gauge, and I'm ready for anything. <laughs> what, what would you guys counsel your 16-year-old in the years to come uh, as it comes to internet dating? I think I just broke out in a sweat. You have any Is it hot getting hot? What's going on? Turn the Wi-Fi off. Yeah, turn the, yeah. I would, I, I, I mean, maybe I'm just old-fashioned. I would say wait a little bit on that, you know. I'm not against it. I mean, I just met with a, 
a, a couple in our church that that's how they met, and they were in their late 30s, and they got married, and they're an amazing couple, brand new baby, uh, you know, amazing story. But, um, you know, for now, let's, let's see what the Lord will yep. do in church and school and where, and as you're going about. It's, you know, if, yeah, if she felt age. led to, if she wanted to, and she had prayed about it and gotten counsel, then, you know, I, I think I would still break out in a sweat, but I think I would, I think I would trust her to, to do that. Yeah, and there's a lot of inherent dangers in that at her age, so, you know, I would always encourage. Oh, yeah, not doing it now at her <laughs> age. Yeah, yeah, that's part yeah, of the question. So. Yeah. Any of you guys have something to say to that when it comes to internet dating, what you would uh, hope for for Sojourn? Yeah, and so I, I addressed this in my sermon on singleness, but I at, <laughs> basically what I said um, was that just like the internet, um, online dating is a blessing to the church, but it also has its inherent dangers. Um, I, I think one of those dangers specifically is that you can be outrageously picky online. Um, you can set your, your filter settings um, to have, you know, the exact person that you've always dreamed of, and that's the only person who shows up on your feed. Um, that's not healthy, and that's, that's not how God would have us do it. Um, so we, we value what God values in other people, um, and we do that on online dating sites as well. So. But and, some... and Marsha wanted me to say, if you have Tinder, no, delete that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I'm thinking, like, if somebody did meet somebody on the Internet, like, what would be a good idea? Was, would it be if, I don't know how far you go or how far you get on the internet, but like at some point, they, they, I would be having them come in and meet my people so my people could tell them, is this person trustworthy? I mean, you know, the wise people, the wise counsel kind of thing. Like you could meet them there, get your first contact, but then run them through all the checks. Yeah, don't do it in isolation. Yeah. That's good. What about ending a relationship? What, what is a, a godly way to end a relationship? Text. <laughs> Rip the band uh, uh, yeah, Really, it's a real question if anybody, you know. Not text. That is the wrong answer. Yeah. Not text. Uh, Instagram and doesn't work either, so. He did end the relationship when we started, and he weaseled out of it. I mean, it was not, He kind of made me think he'd ended it, but he hadn't ended it. It was kind of like, left, left open a possibility <laughs> there, so that, it was yeah. not a good thing. No good on this. Uh, uh, we interrupt you, Anne. Were you saying? Well, I, 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 I can speak, or you can no. speak. So if you have something to say, I would love to hear it. I don't think I'm an authority on this. I don't think um, it's hard to do that. It's just really hard to do that. And especially if you are two people who are following the Lord and seeking to honor Him, and especially if you're in the same community, it just is hard. Um, but the biggest thing to consider is just walking in honor. What honors the Lord is going to honor this other person. Be clear. Don't um, go on and on about how wonderful they are. Generally, that's not helpful. Um, it only leads to... If I'm basically perfect, why is it that we're not dating anymore? Um, so I think that um, be careful about what's actually beneficial for them versus what makes you feel better and appeases your guilt. Um, and don't 
don't do that. Don't speak to appease your guilt because that's not what's the best for them. Because you, if you are initiating the end of a relationship, it's probably because you aren't in it as much as they are. So they're going to walk away in pain. Um, so you want to think about how to honor them. And then once you have made that decision, walk the decision. And that means walk away. That doesn't mean you can never be friends. That doesn't mean that you don't interact with that person. Or, you know, it just depends on the situation and all of those things. But don't keep texting them. And don't like all their stuff on whatever, you know, platform you're on. You know, like, just be done. If you've said, I'm done, then you need to be done. What about internet dating? You, you didn't, do you have thoughts about internet dating? I don't have that many thoughts. Okay. I don't have any experience with it. Um, personally, I do know several um, ladies in our community who have done that and honestly have gotten in trouble. I mean, just, um, so uh, whoever made the comment about, uh, you were talking about, they need to know your people and don't do it in isolation. I think that is the most key thing that you just don't do, I mean, we've, we've been given community for a reason, and I'm confident that within your church community, you talk about the necessity and the benefits of community all the time. Well, this is true in pursuing a spouse. You need other people's eyes on it. One, for just a safety reason. If you are a woman and you're going to meet this man that you do not know, someone needs to know where you are, and they need to know when you're going and when you're done. Like, that's just pragmatic. But then also, community is given as guardrails for us. And so if we're doing things in isolation, that is a red flag that unrighteousness is somewhere really close by, and we're maybe drifting toward it. That's a, it's kind of a, that's a perfect segue into the next question that I actually want to tee up for the Sojourn guys. I, I've heard in a year some, con, some consistent conversation about should I or should I not date inside of my parish? I've heard people say I shouldn't, and here's why. People say I should, and here's why. Should you or should you not date inside of your neighborhood parish? Yes. That's, should I, it was should or should you not? <laughs> yes is not an option. <laughs> yes, you should. Why? I, yeah, I mean, I think... Um, I actually think your first answer was was right with without the you should in that um, d depending on the situation like there there's good reasons to date to date people inside your parish and there's bad reasons to date people inside your parish and so uh, like you know if you're if you're just kind of I'm just looking for a good time or this is really casual or what you know whatever it might be I, I think it really all just goes back to um, again kind of what Ann Lincoln was saying in terms of um, one, um, being really upfront just about what, what, what it is that's taking place there, um, and then allowing your community to speak, to speak into that. So, you know, if you're thinking about asking somebody out in your parish, like, I think probably a good thing to do would be to talk to several other people in your parish and just be like, is this, is this a good idea or is this, am I, am I out in left field, like, picking daisies? You know, what, What's, what's going on here? And let people speak into that. And if, if they bless that, that's, you know, I, I think in, in all situations, uh, I, this is a general rule, and, and you guys can correct me if, if you think it's wrong, but um, I think the Lord really speaks to us sort of in three different ways. One, through His Word, obviously. Two, through the Spirit in prayer. And then third, through our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so um, if, if all those three things are lining up, then go for it. I'll say, I, uh, 
As a parish leader, I dated my co-leader and then married her, so I'm biased. I, I think you should. <laughs> um, and if we're talking about dating as, in the early stages, building a friendship, these are the people you know best, and, and so it is easy. Yep. Um, that's not to say that you get to build a, a depth chart of the people in your parish and then just start running through it, and whoever tells you no, you go to the next one. That's, that's, not, that's not a loving action in community. Um, be targeted with what you're doing. Be intentional. Be loving. And I would, I would say just to, uh, to that also, um, yeah, let, let your intentions be known. I think there were two things that Drew said in his, um, in his sermon on singleness and dating that I think were just very good for all of us. Number one, something that he already mentioned, was just guard against serial dating. Guard against just going from one person to the next. Um, it's not a trip to Minchie's where you sample and, and, and sort of like gauge uh, your fulfillment. Um, and number two, that before we are wives, uh, before we're husbands, we're brothers and sisters. Yeah. And so I think it's an opportunity for us to be gracious. The call for a husband to a wife is to lay down his life for her. A call to a wife to a husband is to lay down her life for him. And a brother to a sister, a sister to a brother, brother to brother, sister to sister, is that our lives would be a benefit to the other. So how can we, in dating, how can we, in our parishes, say, my life for your good? Amen. One of the opportunities uh, with dating within a neighborhood parish, there's obviously complications and challenges. One of the opportunities is that when you have such a tight-knit community, uh, you have inherent accountability built in to start well and end well, uh, and, and to honor our brother and sister in how we start and how we finish and how we end. Um, next question, what, uh, what can you, or, or can you speak practically uh, to address my loneliness? Uh, what can I do practically to address my loneliness while still actively pursuing marriage? What can I do to practically address my, my, my loneliness while still pursuing marriage? I think be honest about it. So thank you for putting this question in. <clears throat> um, and then make sure that you are actively participating in community. And that's a big deal. It's not um, going to satisfy maybe the degree of companionship that you're longing for in marriage. Um, there's a unique way that that's expressed in a covenant relationship between a man and a woman, and, um, and that's just is what it is. That's intended by God. And so there is pain that comes from desiring that and not walking in it. But if you are in the midst of loneliness pulling away um, because it feels too painful to try and engage because you're in a tough spot and feel like, man, people don't like to be around kind of the sad and boggy me right now, well, press in and be honest and ask for prayer um, and cultivate the the relationships and the connections um, that the Lord has put before you. And then, um, you know, long seasons of loneliness are very hard on the soul. And so I would, um, whoever asked that question, if you have tendencies toward um, kind of sorrow or even depression, don't be afraid to be honest about that, to talk with people about that, and to seek some resources that will help bolster your heart in the midst of seasons where you're a little bit more vulnerable. Um, to that darkness. And then also, Jesus was a man of sorrows, and he knows what it's like to be us in every way. 
and so we have a sympathetic high priest. That is like really giant. That's huge. That's better than any spouse. It's better than any friend. It's better than any person who like knows your soul. He really knows your soul. He made you, and he is compassionate. He is sympathetic. He knows what it's like to be us, and so go to him and receive all that he has provided for you, the comfort of the Spirit. He's our comforter. He's our counselor. So we've been given access um, to everything that we need in Christ. And I don't say that in a hyper-spiritual, like, put a Jesus band-aid on it way, but in a true, I'm commending to you what the Lord God Almighty has told us in His Word to be true. I think one of the things that was news to me uh, after I got married was finding out that loneliness isn't a singleness issue, it's a sin issue. Uh, and that loneliness doesn't just go away because you get married. Well, can I say that I don't think loneliness is always a sin issue? Yes, but can I build out what I meant by that then? Yeah. <laughs> it's part of a fallen world. Sure. It's not I'm sinful and therefore I'm lonely, it's we live in a fractured world. I think a, I think a huge way, and this is just this is just really going along with what Ann Lincoln is saying. That I think the way that we uh, one way that we fight loneliness is through vulnerability, and I think that vulnerability is different than transparency, because I think that vulnerability is really taking the top off of how dark and crazy the thoughts in your head and your heart get. And for, for maybe, a lot, maybe some of you, maybe many of you, you are hesitating to pull that top off because you're afraid that it'll isolate you even more and you'll be even more lonely. And I want to encourage you to take this opportunity because it will be a grace of God for you to share how dark it gets for you so that other people will know and you will know how deep and how far God's grace goes. So do, do your parish, do your community, do your friends a great grace and yourself a great grace by sharing, look, this is how bad it gets for me. I think that you'll find that there's endless grace for that. Let, let, me, let me read the next question out of that, and then we can just merge these together and talk about them. Uh, and if you guys would, if you would insert the name Sojourn with the, the churches that you guys are at. And then maybe there, I don't know if there's really a lot of practical to speak to this, but, but maybe uh, we might be able to just apply the gospel to this question, because I know this is a, a broad question as well. As a single woman at Sojourn, and I'm reading this pretty much word for word as it came in. As a single woman at Sojourn, I feel more like an untouchable than I do a valued component of a redeemed family. I desire and value community with my married parish members with my dating parish members and my other single parish members? How do I promote this in a culture that so frequently seems to assume romantic interest and motive? Dan? You just, you know, you just look like you're ready to. Well, I, yeah. I think it, I, I hope that I'm not the only person that speaks no, to no. this. I think that there needs to be, would you even, just as a, I think a pastoral, do you have, can you, will you start and I'll? First of all, I want to, I, I just want to tell you that whoever asked that question, the word untouchable just says a ton. 
it's a very revealing word. It reveals possibly either a ton of hurt, a ton of anger, or, or just a good combination of both where you're pinging between the two. I, I would want to know, how, how do you feel valued? What, what makes you feel valued in a friendship, in your parish family, and have you shared that with other people? Have you told them this is what, this is actually how I feel valued? And I think the other thing that I would say is I would say you are aching for a culture that may not exist yet in your community, and because you're aching for it, it may be a call that you're the one who is to foster it. And with that in mind, I would say begin to graciously or continue to graciously insert yourself into the lives and into the marriages of those people in your parish. Ask to spend time with people who are married in your parish. Ask to spend time with people who are dating in your parish. And I would say it will be a great grace to them. I, is, I don't know if my wife is in the room. Kimberly, are you in here? You are not. Okay. <laughs> but I would say that if we, got a, if we got a text or a phone call that said, hey, from a single person in our parish today, hey, can I spend some time with you? We would absolutely jump on that. And I, I would also encourage those you're, you're married couples in parishes, dating people in parishes, you're, you're reading this, in, take a proactive stance and invite people into your marriage. Invite people into your dating relationship. Um, so I'll, I'll let you build on that. Yeah, I think all of that's really good. Um, I think um, it's really easy to feel like this as an unmarried person in a community with people that are married or dating. Um, and I think it's important to give people grace in the sense that the majority of my friends are married and they're having their second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth child. Life for them looks really different. And it's really easy for me to get my feelings hurt, to feel left out, because what I want is to participate in life with them. I don't want to take time away from their family. I just want to, you know, be a, a part of their family with them. I mean, in an appropriate way, not like move in and like I'm, I'm, I'm with my friend Heather. I'm like, I'm like the fifth Chavez kid and I love it. You know, so not like that. But um, we have to keep in mind just other people's reality. And oftentimes they're not intentionally trying to, to walk in ways that, that cause you to feel such pain. And then I think on the flip side, for those of you who are married or in serious relationships or headed that way, um, it can be really easy to, there's a lot that commands your attention and your time. And so it takes work to look up and remember some others around you that may need to be drawn in. So grace kind of on every side. And then I think also this last part of the question, um, it feels like there's suspicion, you know, when there's a question of motive or, you know, I'm trying to spend time with people and I don't want them to think that I mean something that I don't mean. And I just think more and more and more, we have to always be putting to death suspicion of one another in the body of Christ that's unfounded um, yeah. so that we're able to interact in ways that are loving and kind and love believes the best. It doesn't, you know, stick its head in the sand and yeah. um, it's not naive, but it does believe the best. And so, um, 
as much as we can on behalf of one another pull down those barriers of fear and suspicion, we need to do that. There yeah, are, I, I think, sorry, okay. um, just, to, just to back up what you were saying in terms of giving people grace, like, so my wife and I um, had Olivia, well, she had Olivia, I watched as she had <laughs> Olivia. Uh, um, but, but we share her now. Um, and, uh, and, but in that process, like before, before Olivia was born, we, we were proactive um, about telling the people of, of our church, like, we want you to be involved in this process. We want you to, you know, uh, to, to know Olivia, to meet Olivia. We want her to, to see you as family, to see you regularly so that she recognizes your face, all, all this other stuff. All that to say, we failed miserably at that afterwards. Um, and so, uh, uh, even as someone who, who wanted to, to, to be available, like we, we, and, and took steps to do that, um, we still needed a lot of grace in that. And so, it's, it's just a reality. Just know that, like, um, w- w- life in community for all of us, whether we're single, married, first-time parents, you know, grandparents, um, uh, like, we, we all need to to be coming towards one another um, and recognize that, that in coming towards one another, as we're looking each other in the eye and it's this wonderful moment, uh, there will be a, a rock here and there that's going to trip us up on the way, um, and that's okay. I, I was just going to say, my younger sister, um, she was married, and she went through a divorce, and so she, she, she became single, and so in two ways, she was kind of an untouchable, and it was horribly painful, and so God graciously... Uh, had put me in her life, and so I kind of revved, revved up our relationship, and, you know, that was, at the time, that seemed to be a gift to her. But anyway, um, there's, there just are no untouchables with Jesus, yeah. and truth is truth, and Psalm 139 clearly paints, paints a beautiful picture about how each one of us were so intentionally formed in our mother's womb, and, and God was intentional about that, and so he made you, and uh, you have to go back to what truth is, and that's truth. There's, there just yeah. aren't any untouchables, and then I would say, you know, for married people and for old married people like us, I mean, sometimes we just get self-centered and self-focused, and so, we, yeah, we have to uh, kick ourselves and say, you know, get your eyes off yourself, but I wanted to add one other thing. Um, when I loved what Ann was saying about... Um, you know, just the, um, just the focusing on, uh, the, the, Jesus knows how you, how you feel, but there's a flip side to that too, kind of a sister perspective. And that I think in your loneliness, what you can also do is you can understand how he felt like, which kind of takes, takes you on to somewhere else. And I mean, his goal is for us to know him. So in your loneliness, You can relate to the way Jesus felt in such a huge way. You talk about lonely. He was lonely. I mean, if you look at the way he cried out to the Father when he went to the cross, he felt alone, even in his deity, so to speak. And so it's a way for you to really identify with Jesus and understand not only can he understand your feelings, but you can understand his. And that's a precious place. It's hard, and you you have to get not self-centered to do that, but anyway. Do you want to move on or can I say something? No, go for it. Um, I, I think something yeah. uh, that Ann said a second ago is very important. 
um, about a different reality and the expectations we put on someone. So, um, and just realizing that in every, in these different seasons of life, when someone has a brand new baby, you can have these great ideas and great intentions, but it's just hard. It's just hard to have a baby. And then if you have two under two, your life is over, okay? <laughs> and, and so you, there, there may be just seasons where you're just gonna have to, Sorry, guys. It gets better. It gets better, okay? Good days are coming. Um, give them a driver's license, and man, it's awesome. Um, I don't even know where my kids are right now, so it's great. Um, but, you know, I, I think there's just, there, there are seasons of life, and, and so for my single brothers and sisters, I have realistic expectations, and, and, and I would encourage you to do what friends of ours did. They offered to serve. They stepped in and said, hey, how can we help you? And, you know, serving really brings people together in community. Um, and it really just creates that, that closeness there. Instead of waiting like, oh, I wish someone would call me, we'll call them. And, and then, you know, I think there, is, there are moments, we have several singles in our community group, which is our version of Neighborhood Parish, and uh, one of our dear family friends is a single lady who's 30-something, and um, she travels a lot uh, for her job, and so when she's in town, we've several times just you know, come have a family meal at our house, sit there with all our crazy. Because when you got four kids reaching from seven to 16, it's crazy at the dinner table. So just come sit and just enjoy the crazy. And don't try to save her from all the kids showing her everything they own or the team, you know, and all, all, all that stuff. And just um, invite, a, and, you know, take that risk and just, and just treat them like a family. I think that the, the thing about Maybe it's you, Dodds, that said it earlier. Um, I forget, because every time you put your mic on your beard, I'm, it kind of freaks me out, because I can't really do that. So, okay, just so it distracts me. It distracts me when you talk. Um, I thought I should get that out. Um, I've still got like a little while in the forum. I, I need to work through that. Um, but, you know, what was I talking about? <laughs> what was I saying? Yeah, yeah. When you have them, you have them over. Just you're treating them like the family. You know, the, the scripture says they are your sister, they're your brother, and just you know, if there is the suspicion or motive in you, as someone said earlier, you need to just kill that. You know, if there's if something rears its head and you have some discernment, speak to it. But other than that, we're having our sister over, and we're gonna feed her, we're gonna love on her, we're gonna talk to her, we're gonna hear about her life, and that's just it. You know. Um, I don't know if that helped at all. No, it's good. Sorry about the beard thing. That was kind of <laughs> the beard is the beard. It's uh, it's serious. I, I was gonna I was gonna add one thing to 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 all of this. As one of your pastors and speaking for all of your pastors and parish leaders and all the above, uh, if you if that's not you that wrote the question, but you you go, man, I I do feel like an untouchable. Uh, we we love you, we love you, we love you. The Lord loves you, the Lord loves you, the Lord loves you, and why does he love you? Because he loves you. You, you are not an untouchable when it comes to Christ. You're just not. And what about uh, practical advice for spouses? Uh, how, how do you love your spouse without making an idol of your spouse? You love them for free. You love them no matter what. When I go to an idol, I want something from it. 
Mm. I want it to make me feel safe, secure, significant, satisfy me. But if you're going to love them without making them an idol, love them without come full and come to love them regardless of what you're going to get back. And so be kind when they're in a bad mood. Serve them when you're tired. You know, don't treat them like an idol. Don't treat them like they are the living water for your soul because they're not and they can't bear the weight of your soul. And so I think just realizing that I'm coming to them um, to love them, not to get something from them. And you know when you're doing that. And if you don't, it'll, you'll figure it out pretty quickly because things won't go well. Yeah. They'll fail you. Um, my wife, Kathleen's a great wife. She's not a great idol. Um, she does not satisfy my soul to the innermost being. And, um, you know, it, it took, realized I was looking to her or she's looked to me for things only Jesus can give us. Yeah. And Jesus is so good. He just won't let that person satisfy you. I mean, the more you try, you more, the more you feel uh, the just shallowness of that. And I know some of you have experienced that. And, and that's just the gracious hand of your father just pulling you back to him and not letting some other person or experience um, satisfy your, your soul. And uh, what a great thing our spouses are. And um, in as much as they can satisfy us, God planned for that. And that's a great thing. But beyond that, and, and like Chuck said, he'll, I just think he'll prick your, your spirit and you'll know that you've, you've crossed a line and he's so loving and gracious. He'll bring you back and then he will, he'll satisfy you with um, just him. And he's so much better. I learned that it took me, I feel like it took us probably a couple of years or the first part of our marriage to, um, to do the two tick, two, what is it? Two ticks and no dog, you know, for the first two years. And then Okay, now we've tried that. That didn't work, so we'll just go back to Jesus. And that was a, a gracious thing he did for us. What are some struggles you guys have had in marriage? Like, if you were to point back and go, in the years, uh, here was kind of some big X, Y, Z that were real mountains for us. Well, we were... I was just unspeakably selfish uh, in our dating and when we got married and we were kind of clueless. We didn't do premarital counseling, which was a, it, it wasn't offered to us back then, but I just want to tell you, we, I wish we had so many times. But I think at the end of the day, the way I would summarize it is um, making terrible assumptions based on my view of what was right and wrong uh, and judging her heart and making determinations about what we ought to do or what we didn't need to do or what was important or what she felt was important, but I, I knew ultimately it was kind of an arrogance that uh, really damaged her heart and her soul and really led us to a place of deep, deep, deep crisis yeah. that God was so gracious to bring us through. But um, it was a little bit, you know, those of us that, that love Jesus and that love his word, uh, and especially if on top of that you're kind of a, a black and white, kind of an imperative kind of person, uh, the danger of that is that we carry that black and whiteness over in our relationships and the way we speak to one another and the way we evaluate one another. And I did that in a way that was really damaging to her heart yeah. and her soul. So, um, you know, loving truth and holding to truth is great, but 
I'll never forget the day when the counselor looked at me and he said, uh, so how many of these things that you all have had conflict over really are matters of black and white, right and wrong? And it was like, none of them were. And I had crushed her soul over things that were, that were not, you know, that, that they didn't rise to that level. I could have given, I could have done it her way, I could have, all of these things. And um, so that's, from our point of view, that, yeah. that was a fault line in our marriage that almost crushed us and then God was gracious in uh, bringing us to it. What about you guys? Which one should I talk about? <laughs> like I should... Crushing you... my soul. Yeah. <laughs> I, that hurts. Um, you know, our, we've said before in different places, you know, hey, we've been married 22 years, and 20 of them have been awesome. Um, in the first two years, and, and, and even after that, and they've been awesome, but they haven't always been easy. But I, I think, um, you know, communication has always been a thing. Um, you know, we didn't premarital counseling. We had one session, and or actually, we had like one little class and a video, and it wasn't really helpful. You didn't get to process it in community, um, and so learning how to talk to each other, learning how to respect each other's differences, um, the thing that attracts you to your spouse a couple of years later irritates the snot out of you about them. You know, they were so different in this, and now you're married, and you're like, oh, you're so this, and you know, two or three years ago, you thought that's why you love them. And uh, that's why you want to choke them, you know? And um, so we, you know, we had to work through those things. Um, you know, those were some big issues. You know, finances were a big issue for us. Um, and, and that came down to communication and having honest conversations. We just both, both approached it so differently. I'll tell you though, and I don't want to get off on a tangent, so stop me though. Um, but this is my big thing with, with married people. And I talk about premarital counseling or even marriage counseling. When you walk into your marriage, you both brought luggage with you. You both brought baggage, not to use over psychological babble, but you did. You brought a rolling cart, a duffel bag, a backpack full of everything that's happened to you in your life. And you learned to be you. You learned to be you with your parents, good or bad, okay? Uh, you know, if you even had good parents, we've all probably have wounds from our life growing up. You brought those in. They're in a bag. And you process your spouse through all those things. Now, yes, Christ is redeeming you and Christ is changing you, but you're still you. And you have to learn how to, I, I think every married couple, and this is some work we've done over the past three or four years just in our marriage, is really, you know, how do I react to her when I'm really reacting to something else? I'm really reacting to something she hasn't said. I'm really reacting to a wound in my soul. And I think the, the more you can deal, the more we've dealt with our own personal baggage, personal wounds, personal sin, and repented of that, found healing in the Lord, rewashed our minds and had them renewed by the scripture, the more we approach each other with grace, the more we approach each other with kindness, uh, the more we approach each other very authentically and can, you know, if we're freaking out about something, having a moment that's tense, we can say, I'm feeling tense and there's more, you know, instead of let's stand up and fight, well, let's stop and pray. And, um, I just, my last 10% is I think every couple in the room, you need marriage counseling. Not when it gets bad. Yeah. Now, every couple, 
You need another, it can be another couple in your parish, it can be a pastor, it can be a Christian counselor, but you've got to be processing your life and your relationship out loud with someone else who's a third party, because the hardest thing for you to see is you, and the hardest thing for us to see is us. Because we're in the dance, but when people watch us from the outside and say, do y'all see how you're dancing? And they can speak into that. And so that's, our journey has been learning to communicate, learning to, to dive into those issues, apply the gospel to them, and learn to communicate in a whole new light. Is that 22 years of marriage summed up? Anyone, anything you want to add to that? Uh, I, I would, if I could just piggyback on that and, and just say, if you're married and there's major issues in your marriage or, or big flags coming up, they should not be a surprise to your parish. It should be a group of men and women who are aware uh, of, of your life and can speak into your life that you have not just been transparent but vulnerable with, where you've said, this is what's going on. I don't just need you to know. I need you to help me. Right. Uh, what about... Uh, uh, what does having a gentle and quiet spirit look like for a woman who perceives her husband as controlling, demanding, and treating her as a slave? Yeah. Uh, what, does it, what does it look like? What does having a gentle and quiet spirit look like for a woman who has perceived her husband as controlling, demanding, treating her as a slave? We, we left that one pretty word for word on purpose. That's a really hard question, and I mean, yeah. the thing that I've noticed is, you know, Scripture just doesn't, it, it's just not black and white, and I think that's for a reason. I think it's, it's the process of sanctification. If, I mean, I don't think someone needs to sit and tell you what gentle and quiet looks like. That, that's kind of between you and the Lord, and He has to show you. The Holy Spirit has to help reveal that to your heart, and then you have to be, you know, willing to, to do the things that he prompts you to. I mean, there's just not a, a, black, and, yeah. a black and white answer. So I think that's, that's between you and God, and you have to discover that. He has to reveal that to you. And then I think wise people in your life is they, you know, you can explain the circumstances. They can speak into it and, you know, give suggestions yeah. along the way, but you have to figure that out. And, I, I think that's the great blessing that you all enjoy in being in uh, parishes, because uh, if that's your circumstance, um, I think someone else needs to be speaking into that yep. relationship, because I don't think you can handle it in isolation. And so um, I'd encourage you to find some, someone you can trust to share this with in such a way that according to Matthew 18 and Galatians 6 and, and the other aspects of community relationship that that if, if your husband is doing that, it's not acceptable. It's, it's not godliness. And I, I don't think you should hear any of us say, well, you're just supposed to live with it because you're supposed to have a gentle and quiet spirit. Um, I think that's the reason we're called into community so those things can be addressed. And so I'd encourage you to find someone to help speak into that. Well, and it's good to remember that, you're, that a gentle and quiet spirit is not your personality. It's not about... Am I outgoing? Am I quiet? Am I? It, it's about your spirit. What's happening in your heart? And is your heart at rest in God? Um, and when, when you're in a, a really healthy, holy place where you can have a gentle and quiet spirit, and defining that is, 
is, like you said, it can't be totally defined, but as long as you're not thinking this is how I'm wired, how I react and how I talk, it's more about your heart and is your heart at rest in God and, and his provision and his um, just sovereignty for you in, in this relationship that you found yourself in, this really sounds like damaging, hard relationship. Um, and so I, I think you were going to speak to the rest of that. Well, I was just going to say, I, I think that's right. It's an internal thing because that doesn't mean you don't get to tell the truth. That doesn't mean you don't look him in the eye, but coming from a gentle, quiet spirit and say, this is wrong the way you're treating me. And I'm going to start talking about it. I'm not going to defraud you. I'm not going to, you know, dishonor you in the way we speak, but we need to get help. We need to tell the people in our parish if they don't know. We need to get that. And you can do that all with an internal, you know, when you're a holy, healthy place. Um, you know, if, if this is you, I hope people know. Yeah. They need to know. And, 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 you know, and there's so many caveats from it. Is the guy a believer? If he's not, you know, if he's, you know, there's, there's so many things that you can go there. So there's not, like they said, a black and white answer. But, but a gentle, quiet spirit doesn't mean you're a doormat. You are a child of God, a follower of Jesus, a temple of the Holy Spirit, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead resides in you, that reside in the apostles, resides in you. And so you can pray like that, you can speak the truth like that with a quiet, gentle spirit. Um, so I just add. And I, you can be confrontational in a gentle and quiet way. Yeah, I think just to undergird, we so often can uh, misread gentle and quiet as passive, and that's not at all what's being communicated there. It's more <coughs> the idea of meekness, which is power under control. And then further on in that passage, you know, Peter's going to commend for women um, that we look to Sarah as an example of faith who did not fear what was frightening. And Sarah's husband was far from perfect, you know, and he led her into a place of sin, and her ability um, to come underneath uh, Abraham was not rooted in her confidence in him or his righteousness, but rather her fear of God. Um, so in agreement with everything that has been spoken, it's not passivity, it's not provocation either. Um, and just sometimes when uh, we, depending on temperament, you know, when we are confronted with someone who comes across as dominant, we can uh, desire to match intensity. That's not, <laughs> that's not going to help probably. Um, and that's not what it means to have a gentle and quiet spirit, but it's more this idea of power under control with and that's only possible with a confidence firmly rooted in the fear of God and then bring in help. Um, it's not okay for, um, it's not okay to, to feel that way and it's not okay to be treated that way. Both things need to be addressed. Yeah. Uh, let me piggyback off that and ask a question about transparency, marriage, community. Uh, and maybe this is, can be spoken to more broadly than just marriage, but the question was specifically about marriage. Uh, in, let me just read it. Uh, what parts of my marriage and at what depth do I let uh, my parish into to ask another way how transparent is too transparent? Uh, well, I think, I think that's similar to Christie's last answer that I don't know that there's a cut, cut and dried answer to that. Um, but what immediately comes to mind is uh, we had Ray and Janie Ortland. Um, a Redeemer and Tom Ball brought in the Orleans, but we hosted it in our building. This was back in March. There were two takeaways that I, uh, that I just have thought about over and over again, but the one of them is 
that the, the nature of the marriage relationship, the, the oneness, is that there is a place where you are with your spouse that no one else will ever be, not a, a, apart from God and the Holy Spirit, but any other human piece. There are, there are parts of what it means to be in a marriage that that, that oneness excludes everyone else. And I think, I think there has to be some wisdom in that, but um, I just thought that was an interesting model uh, that, that when Adam and Eve came together, they were, they were to be one with, with one another and, um, uh, in that way. So um, I, I don't know what the answer is, Brandon, as far as overall, but I do know that there are limits. I think, I think there has to be care. And, and that's a loving thing. That's a gift that you give to your spouse. Uh, there are things, places where we fail one another where we can work through that, but it would not be loving for me to go share that with other people in order to get them on my side or give me advice on how to handle it. And so I think you have to have some discretion there. Uh, the opposite extreme, obviously, is, and maybe we live this way for a while, where we are, um, our boundaries are so Im impermeable that no one else knows what's going on. No one else is there. So um, I, I'm given a, kind of an amorphous, not a very clear answer, but, but those are the things that press on me. Is yeah. there, hath, there has to be an intimacy where no one else ever is. But at the same time, you can't live. So would you say, I'm not giving a clear answer because I don't think there is a clear answer, that it's gray. Are you asking me if I think it's gray? Yeah. Um, but there's broad boundaries, but there's not black and white. Yeah, this is it, what it should and I mean, should I, not look like. I hate to say it's situational. I, I think it takes some wisdom. But I, I, I think if you're not living in community, you're not going to have any ground or any basis to make that decision. If you don't already have relationships, you have an issue in your marriage, and you say, how am I going to address this? Should I bring somebody else in or not? If you're not already in community, you haven't given yourself the foundation and the context to even answer that question. Yeah, that's good. Um, yeah you threw a hand up. I assume that means you want to... Yeah, yeah. Okay. I wasn't just throwing it. Um, you know, I, I would, um, I mean, there's definitely different caveats of that because I agree 100% with what Michael said. There are, there are moments between me and the Lord in my walk with him that have just been intimate and special where he's done something in my soul that, that's just for me and him. And there's likewise things between us that's just us, conversations, moments, just those are our moments with us and the Lord. And, and those really aren't to be shared. But I, I do think there are some things, you know, because I, I find that in the name of authenticity or in the name of humor, I'll see couples that will, you know, just kind of throw out the bad laundry of, you know, well, you know, he does this or she does that, you know, to get a laugh or something. And, and I think you have to be careful about sharing those kind of things. And I, I think there's a, you know, I, I'm not the one going around telling people what she struggles with in her sin or vice versa, you know, and, and there's a level of that when you're in community and you're working on that and all that, but I think just to kind of, you know, again, there's that discretion of, um, you know, I'm not going to tell without her permission, I'm going to let her tell the deep things she wants to tell that's going on in her soul. You know, I might tell a friend in private, hey, pray for her. She's struggling for this. Or she might tell a friend in private, pray for him. You know, if they're really close and we're walking with them intimately. But I, I think there's some of those kind of guidelines there. If you're, you know, if you're in agreement about what we're sharing and, and, how, and how far we'll go, I think those things are very healthy. But, you know, just, just honor them as you share. You know, they're, they're not the butt of your jokes 
and, and they're not your enemy. You're not trying to show how clever or smart you are or dumb they are. And we've just been around couples like that, and, and you just have to speak to why is he the butt of all your jokes? That, that was one of the ways I was really immature when we were first married. I, I, because I was in some pain over the, the relationship and some of its you know, shortcomings, I overshared to be funny. And also an, a, a hidden motiva- motivation would have been if I can make fun of this out loud, I'm outing him and maybe some, in some sick way this will bring some measure of, of health to this. I, I, had, I was very, I was really immature and confused on, okay, so these things are true about him and we need to work through them. It's not fun, something to make fun of him over in front of the friends and make, you know, make a big joke and um, out him over this. So we, we definitely needed some, some help. You, you have to have an avenue, a way to say, we're hurting, we're in pain, and we need help. And your friend, you know, I, I even just thinking through, who am I telling this to? And is that person able to, to carry this? We had a, a lady in our group who would, specifically with me, she shared way too much about what her husband was doing. And, you know, we talked on the way over here about how that, she was really handing me a rock that I could not deal with. Um, and it's just, if the person's not a, a clinical counselor, if they're not trained, they can't always bear the weight of what you're telling them. So sometimes that transparency is like, well, that was a little much. So. That's good. Dodge, you have anything to add to it? I, I was just going to say that true transparency is not telling everyone everything. It's just a small thing. That's good. Um, so you just summed up everything I spent all that time saying. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. It's, a, it's a skill. Hey, I, I wanted to... We, we have 15 or so minutes left, and there's a few questions that I really wanted us to, to hit. I meant to say this in the beginning, and I forgot. Um, afterwards, we're going to have some coffee downstairs in the basement to, to hang out. There, there were mountain of questions that we didn't get to and we won't get to. And so if, uh, if you guys want to sit and have casual conversation, uh, ask your question that didn't get to get asked. Uh, we'll, we'll be down there. Some of us will be down there uh, afterwards. All right. Uh, what should I do? And this is, this might be uh, uncomfortable to talk about, but we wanted to, to bring it up. Uh, if there is significant difference in sex drive, how would you recommend a married couple handling it? It seems That's to me a, there's a significant difference. <laughs> 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 Is, is this what we just talked about, about is outing there, your spouse? Yeah. <laughs> I think it's a physiological reality from everything I can tell. Usually, I mean, there are exceptions. It's just like the Christian life. You just think about the other person. How can I gift this person? And what does that look like? I mean, you just get wise about it. And, yeah, I, I mean, and my, I mean, beyond Michael even. I mean, if you just look at... Men and women in general, you know, it's just, I think it's just a reality. So, I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I think that would be right. The, the, core, the core issue of sexuality to begin with, as far as, I think, interrelating is um, pleasing, pleasing the, the spouse. And um, if that's your goal, then I think it takes the edge off of a lot of that. If, if, if your understanding of sex is for your own satisfaction and pleasure, if that's your primary goal, then you've got bigger problems than just a differing, the differing sex drive. So 
But let me clarify, because I talked to a lot of young women and like young moms and stuff who are just exhausted and wiped out. I mean, you know, you can just, your workday never ends with your children. And so, I mean, let's say his sex drive is just way more intense than yours. I would say that I would differentiate to between, you know, if, if, if you're running low in energy and that sort of thing, there's a difference between sacrificing and deprivation. Like, and that's true all through life. So when you sacrifice and give a gift to someone, you give out of what you have to give. But giving out of deprivation is giving out of what you don't have to give. And so I think I've seen women do that, and that will do damage. So somehow, some way, if you're the woman in the relationship and you know, you're wanting to help meet your husband's needs, and I mean, you're just running on empty, well, you know, you're going to have to get wise and smart about how you can somehow, some way, get some extra energy. And, um, I, and that could look like a hundred different things. But um, I think that's a good, you know, for me, that's just been a good thing. I, I don't get out, give out of what I don't have to give because that hurts both of us. So. You have anything to add? I think what... Um I think what Michael said is huge. Is it an act of, of self-giving love or an act of trying to receive gratification? And that's where I think some differences need to come down to and prayer and, and real honest dialogue, expectations, you know, put it, you know, really talking through it. Um, I, I think those are, those are key, not just building up frustration having great open communication about it. Dots? Okay. Uh, let's talk about education. So our church, pretty young, a lot of people who are uh, unmarried, uh, and then young families, no kids, or young kids up till three, four, five, uh, across the board, across Southern Houston at large. It's, it, that's kind of the stage of life that we're at. Um, but we wanted to start thinking about and prepping for and uh, having conversations with our, our church about education and uh, how to educate our children. So the question was, in light of the fact that we are called as parents to discipline and instruct and teach our children in the Lord, how would you recommend thinking through the education options of my child? And let me, while you think about an answer, let me clarify. We're not looking for, we think you should do this or this or this, and if you choose the other of the two options, it's sin and it's wrong and you're gonna ruin your kid's life. Um, but what's the grid that you guys uh, would recommend using to, to think through? And then, uh, I don't want you to be left out of this, you work with families uh, of children who are thinking through this weekly. I think you need to um, be very open-handed about this in many ways. I mean, obviously we have our Christian convictions and there's fear that if I put them in certain environments, what that will do to my children. Obviously I'm talking about public school, but, but even some private, maybe Christian school. I mean, you might want to figure out how Christian the school really is. Um, what they're going to, is it law-based or are they really going to talk about Jesus? Um, but, you know, as you get in there, what's happened with, with our four children, um, Every year, we pray and ask the Lord, what are we supposed to do this year? 
So, over. so whatever decision you begin with, I, I think yeah. it really helped us to realize it's not in cement. If we yeah. go public school, we're not the public school family. If we keep them at home for a little bit, we're not the, the homeschool family. We, every year we stop and pray, and, and that seems like, oh my goodness, every year. But every year we find ourselves in a new situation with different ages and different financial situation. And every year is different. It just naturally is. So it depends on where you great. live and if what the public school's like near you. It depends on your temperament can you handle homeschooling some people can't some people are wired to just rock it out and 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 don't feel guilty you know you just be the led of the lord and your kids change your kids might have special needs one kid might be at a place where you need to put them in certain different environments and so we've had kids in private and public at the same time and we get weird looks you know we struggle with that because with when our first was doing something it seemed like well we should do the same thing for the second one right because it's going to be all like uneven and scrap that entirely because everyone is wired so differently that their education will look different from their brother or sister and that's totally fine and great to start it off that way it's we're not all the same we're not in our family we're not all um, we don't receive information the same way. We're not all really good readers or really good at math. And we just kind of adjust as we find out where they are and who they are. Yeah, so having that grace, that conversation, you know, as you start out, you know, because how you start may not be how you end. And, and, and that's okay. You know, have, give yourself grace for that. And just, you, you know, not, I'll probably just repeat everything you just said. But, yeah. Um, the benchmarks for us had to do with physical safety, so I think that's a given, but if I felt like my child was in physical danger, it would determine um, a choice we would make. Um, I think Chuck was really wise in just because it says it's a Christian school, it might not be gospel-driven. I think most of us have come to a place where we realize that. Uh, also, there are Christian schools that are just kind of glorified prep schools which pursue an atmosphere of materialism uh, that is really harmful, I think, to the kids that are there. That's, a, that's another issue. Um, but I, I would also want to encourage you that, uh, and I could get in trouble here, you guys may disagree, it's not the church's job to provide education for your children. Uh, that's a, I don't think that's a burden that, that churches can bear. Um, and I came out of the last generation, churches began to take that responsibility. Well, the, the world's going to hell, so we're going to educate our children. And they really did a, usually a pretty lousy job of education when they owned that because they weren't educators. And so, and I'm kind of a product of that, I'm sorry to say. Um, so I, I, I guess I would say that too. I think, I think there's a heart, uh, if I know what's going on, I think there's a heart for you guys to encourage and help equip. I don't think it's a wrong thing for a church to do, but I don't think you should demand it. I don't think it's an expectation. Um, but I, other than that, I think what Chuck has said is right. It's an individual decision. It's based on, uh, and, and it may change. It, it, you should consider it very fluid. We're seeing that with our kids and uh, grandkids. Uh, it's a very fluid. The fluid thing is huge. And then you need to guard your heart from being self-righteous. Um, and, and it doesn't matter what camp you, you're self-righteous public, they're self-righteous private, they're self-righteous homeschool people. You just can't, you can't do that. Someone's going to, people are going to pick things different than you. It doesn't mean they're bad. It doesn't mean they're wrong. It's just not right for you and your family at this maybe stage, you know. Um, so I, I'd really guard your heart against thinking, well, we're, we're right. No, you're just, you're doing your thing. And uh, let's let another family do what's right as they're raising their kids under the Lord. Yeah, I think, 
and all of this sort of falls underneath, and, you know, and I never thought about this until three months ago, so <laughs> I, like, r- recognize that. But, but all of that falls underneath, like, uh, just the, the fact that no matter what, you know, iteration your, your child ends up in, um, you're ultimately still their, their primary discipline and instruction, particularly in the Lord. And so uh, there may be Christian schools that you still have to deconstruct things. There, there may be materialism present. There may be, you know, a, a more law-based um, emphasis, you know, where people, your kids aren't, aren't really being taught the gospel. They're, they may be being taught verses, you know, but, um, but in terms of what that means for them and what it looks like for them to live that out, like that's still, that's still on you in the context of um, your, your community, right? And so... Um, doesn't matter, again, doesn't matter where they're going to end up, you're still going to end up, uh, you know, bearing that responsibility for, for the nurture um, of your child. So. so, five minutes, and we had two questions left that we really wanted to get to. We had a, a mountain that we wanted to, but, but the two that were key. Uh, one, on the ground, real life, day in and day out, how did you discipline your kids? How do you wish you'd have disciplined your kids? What... Uh, is there discipline that you think is off limits? Uh, if you spanked, how did you spank? Give us that picture. Uh, I was spanked really hard and really often, and so I came into parenting with, you know, this idea that you know th- this was a horrible experience, and I, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to pass that on. And so, you know, what we came to was. Let's not completely throw out spanking because it's in the scripture, but let's redeem it. And so we were able to find a teaching that was really helpful, and it it just taught us how to do it in a redemptive, loving way, which was not what I had experienced at all. It was very punitive. It was too much and too hard and too often. And so God was so good to us because he wasn't really spanked at all. So we really came to this with two different, That explains a lot. Oh, yeah. (laughs) She had way too much discipline. I needed it. Needed discipline. So, but it was so great because we we were really able to walk through how do you spank someone in a redemptive, helpful way if it's in the scripture. We'd, and my sister completely threw it out altogether because she was like me, and she was like, "We're not. We're just not going to spank at all." But what we learned was so helpful and so wonderful that it, you know you don't just spank your child and let them cry and and you're you're done. But there's a, there's this the coming back. You haven't hardened their heart by you know this really you know, punitive situation, but you explain to them what they've done. You tell them that mommy's going to spank you and how many times. So they don't, they don't, you, you're under control because you know, it's just going to be three little pops or whatever. And I know this is so controversial and I, I'm, I'm just still going to share my, my quick part because I, it was so for us, so helpful and so redemptive. And so we began to do that. And part of what it, it looked like was the quick little spank a little time to cry, and then we come back, and we sit on our lap, lap, and we get a good little snuggle, and we talk about what happened, and and it's always redemptive. It's always um, based in, you know, Jesus loves us, even when we're, and I'm just gospeling him the whole time. We had to do it this week with our seven-year-old. Big spank, big cry, come back, and we're going to hug. We're going to sit on our knee, and mommy loves you even when you're the naughtiest in the, in the world, and mommy was naughty, and we just walk <laughs> through it, and, and it's always redemptive because at the end, there's a closeness. It's not, I've beat the pulp out of you, and you just go figure it out. 
Yeah, I think communicating, we, we have to communicate to each other about it. So, you know, if I, if I come home from the day, hey, I had to, especially when everyone's at home, everyone's in school now. And so, you know, hey, I had to spank so-and-so today. And, you know, we talk about it or she'll call me or, or and if you, you know, just, you're going to get angry. And you're going to be tempted to, if you, if you spank, to spank in anger. And if so, you need to be able to look and say, I, I'm, I'm in a bad place. I need you to take over and pass the baton. Yeah. Don't, don't do it. And, um, and you'll know when you cross the line. And, and you might cross the line. And the Lord will, the Lord will help you. And, you know, that, that's another conversation. But I think just keeping it open, honest. And obviously, there's ages where we, you know, we don't spank, of course, our older ones uh, now. Think about it sometimes, you know. Uh, you know, I, I scare them. I tell them you ain't too big, you know. Uh, I look them right in the eye because the 16-year-old thinks she knows everything. Um, but um, but that, that's been very helpful for us because we're not punishing them. We're disciplining them. And we need to learn the difference of that because the Lord does not punish us. Our punishment fell on Christ. We, but we are disciplined. And he disciplines because he loves us. And so we remind even our kids, you're not grounded because I hate you. You're grounded this disciplinary actions because I love you. And when you feel the burn of the grounding, you remember that that didn't do what I wanted. That sin didn't do what I wanted it to do. That's the good work of discipline. At least as we've been experiencing and, and walking. Uh, so let, me ask you, let me ask this, kind of a, a follow-up to you guys since y'all answered. Uh, did you use an escalating and do you use an escalating scale of discipline? If they do X, it gets, thinking of the younger kids for right now, not so, you know, because I can't ground my four-year-old. He doesn't, you know, that doesn't do any good. Uh, uh, that's punishment for my wife, not for, you know. <laughs> uh, if, if they do X, it gets time out. If they do Y, it gets a spanking. If they do Z, it's a, it's a conversation. Did you use an escalating scale of discipline? I think that was a little bit hard to, to have it be that black and white because every kid's wired different. And my second daughter had a mouth. And so what we figured out for her is what would work better than a, than a, a severe spanking was even just a flick on the lip. And I did it to myself and it totally hurt. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to do that sparingly. But just when she sinned with her mouth, it made sense you know, lovingly, like I said before, real redemptive, come to mommy. God gave us our words, and you've used your words in a way that hurt, and you can't use your words anymore, and mommy's going to flick you. And I would tell her beforehand, give her a hard little flick. Oh, my word. There's lots of more screaming. If you don't have us back, oh we understand. <laughs> That's good. Remember, our church is Christ Community Church. Oh, wait. Oh, sorry, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> but I, when, when you were talking it was making me think it's really important to mention that me controlling my own anger was huge because in the moment of they're, they're being naughty it's just a trigger and it's yeah. you know right away the blood pressure and you're angry and that was a good thing for me to learn to remove myself for a minute calm down and never spank or flick in anger yeah, you're, you're, <laughs> yeah, your idol of control will rise up yeah. uh, when they're but uh, one of the uh, you know yeah, that, that's, I, I don't have anything to add. We're going to be known as the so spanker. For, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not the spanker, the flicker. Go ahead, Dodds. Last thing. I, I was, I was going to say that 
uh, for our for our oldest Abigail, we've we have been uh, spanking her in, in certain situations when when we believe that it calls for it. We always have a conversation about what we're going to do. One of us carries that out, but we do it together. Um, but the other thing is, is that when we have spanked in in anger, or it's been a a quick reaction, when we have that time together, we repent and apologize Absolutely. to our children. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's good. Daddy did this, and that was not loving to you or loving to God, and so I want to come and ask for your forgiveness. Would you forgive me? And to see Abigail say, yes, I know that we're, te- we're being taught together before the Lord. Yeah, my words have been too harsh before to my children, and Kathleen's given me some loving correction, so I've gone back to them, and I've said, you know, you did this, you're still in trouble, that's over here but here's what I did in that moment. And I think that that model is just healthy relationships, healthy repentance, absolutely. Your kids need to see you repent, absolutely. So let me, let me ask this last question, and if we could uh, get a, a quick answer on it. No, it's not true. I don't, I don't want a quick answer. I want to... <laughs> yeah. So we have, uh, we have several families, uh, as I'm sure you guys uh, do in, in the churches that, that y'all are uh, you're from. I, I certainly know you do. I knew a lot of them uh, who have walked through challenges with miscarriages and infertility and this longing to be a parent and uh, I'm, not a, I'm not able to have a child or even I, I so desperately want to be a parent, but I'm single and how do I do this? Uh, I'm I'm single and I'm 40 and I want to be a mom or I want to be a dad, but I don't have a spouse on the horizon. Um, could y'all speak to our people? You know, I think there's a, just a, one thought that popped in my head. There's such a need to be, and um, um, especially now as I'm in my 40s, I see this, there's such a need for spiritual parenting. And if you're, you know, single and you're, you don't have kids yet and you have that desire to be a, a godly influence uh, on a child, a, a young person, a teenager, to be a spiritual parent, to be, to, to disciple that person, um, it's such an amazing thing. And, 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 you know, you might not have all the things, there might be some pain of some expectations that, that you're, you're missing out on, but there's still so many ways the Lord can use you. Um, one, one of my the guys that poured into me more than anything was a, a single man, uh, Tommy Hill. I was right out of college, and he had us to his house on Monday nights, and I was on the crossroads of probably just doing my own thing or totally surrendering to the Lord. And he just poured into me. He was a spiritual dad to me. And, you know, he didn't have kids and get married till years, years, years later. But, but he didn't let that stop him from influencing and, and pouring in. So I, I don't know if that's helpful. God's? Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Michael. Um, all I would say, it, it, I hesitate to say it because I know it sounds like it's kind of cheap and easy preaching, but um, God, who has proven his love for you on Calvary has ordained all your days. And when you question why, all of us do, every one of us, but we have to go back to how God has proven his care for us. And if he has proven his care for us with the incredible gift of his son, 
then we have to trust his goodness even when we don't like where we are at this moment. And at this particular time, uh, and our great desire, I, I absolutely agree with everything Chuck said. I think there are other avenues that we can pursue. But at the same time, um, in your heart, you may feel that that won't, <coughs> pardon me, that won't meet that need. And, um, and it may not, but God will meet. God's grace is sufficient, and God's goodness is proven in the cross. And part of gospel living is where you take your broken circumstances or your disappointing circumstances and you offer them to Jesus and recognize that every pain that you have is, uh, is washed through the blood of Christ and it's for a purpose. And you have to cling to that. And I recognize that that can sound pie in the sky, but I want to know you when you, I want you to know when you walk through trouble, that's the foundation of where you can find hope. And so uh, I, I don't think you should deny the pain. I don't think you should pretend like it's not there. I think you should do what you can to channel those energies other places. But I think you also have to do some hard soul work to remind yourself that God's good intentions didn't just end on Calvary, but from, are from as Christy said earlier, from your mother's womb to the day you meet Jesus. All of those days are in God's hands, and so he has a purpose in it. Man. Um. I think I would say I'm so sorry. It's um, there's a tenderness and a vulnerability in that place of longing, of unmet longing that is unlike anything else. Um, and I can relate from the standpoint of I desire to be married and I desire to be a mother um, deeply. And so I I can experience or relate to that at some level. But I also have dear friends who um, who are married and unable to conceive, have been uh, a waiting family in the adoptive process for almost two years and just thing after thing and watching that struggle on that road, it's just very difficult. And so I'm so sorry. And, and the Lord is full of compassion. He sees each of us where we are and he is not withholding good from us. And it can be very difficult to reconcile that with the reality of thousands of kids in the foster care system. and. Just um, all of these things taking place where there are children born to parents who cannot or will not care for them, and yet there are these godly, faithful people who desire to be parents and they're unable to be, and that is really faith-stretching, you know, and that's saying it in a very generous way. It's difficult, but he is trustworthy. He is who he says he is, and there's not one life that's accidental, yeah. um, and we can come underneath the covering of his sovereignty um, we can only receive from him the truth that he's given us. And sometimes the, the truths of God are not comfortable, but they can be comforting. That makes sense. There's a difference there um, in sovereignty. Um, I don't know. And also, I know that uh, for those that, have, um, that do struggle with infertility, it can be very difficult um, for people around you to know how to walk with you in ways that are loving and honoring because it can be from day to day. You either don't want anyone to ask you anything or you really need people to check in. So I would just encourage you for the people who you know love you, please just let them know how they can care for you best because I promise they only want to do that in a way that yeah. it brings life and not harm. And they just may need help knowing what's good to ask and what's good to just um, prayerfully cover. Dodge, do you have anything? You want to close this? Two things. What Ann just said. 
please share the depth of your, of your pain with your community. It will be grace for you, grace for them. And number two, I don't, I don't want any of you to try to paint over your pain with things like God is good, God is sovereign. I think amongst all of the, the varied blessings of living as Christians, we can, we can strike, we can live in tension and say that two things are true at once. And for those of you who, who can't have children, you can say, God is good and this is awful. You can say both of those. You don't have to fall into despair and say this is awful and God isn't good. But you also don't have to just paint on this smile and go into community with a pretend version of yourself, but saying, this is awful, God is good, God is good, and this is awful. That's good. Yeah, let's just close there. Can you guys just thank the, the panel for serving us tonight? <laughs> Have you guys step on down.